Michael Vincent the Dude. Hey, good chilly Friday afternoon from Freight Alley, man. Hey, what's on your mind? Let's go. I got the nice convoy sweater on. You do, man. Those are stylish. Give me a little close-up. Give me the hero cam. I'm trying to show my sweater off. Thank you, boys. Um, No, big day today, too. So, big celebratory day for me. This is a a culmination of a five-year-long journey on November 5th, 2016. Big day for me. Uh, it's the day I checked into rehab and uh, and and a dual diagnosis facility for uh, alcoholism and depression. And um, it was at that time, you know, my wife was uh, just about to give birth to our second child. And yeah. I was there. Uh, I, was, I was speaking to a counselor, and wow. they told me that something like podcasting or something I could pour energy into and and maybe get re-addicted to would would be a good path forward. And I had this idea of doing a podcast for a long time, a freight podcast. And when I got out, I I launched this thing and. Um, Five years later, you know, not in Boston anymore, here in, here in Chattanooga. It's crazy. It's awesome, dude. Yeah, it's That's been a long pretty journey. heavy stuff, man. Thank you all for your support. Yeah, personally, <laughs> I'm very thankful that you did it, man. I'm proud and honored to uh, call you my friend, my friend. Well, thank you. Thanks, I, I appreciate love it. it. Appreciate you guys, too. Um, I did a TEDx on it, by the way. It's up on uh, LinkedIn. I'll put in the show notes if you haven't heard it. And very cool. if any of you out there, if any of you are struggling with those kind of things, one of the reasons I, I sought help was uh, a former boss of mine. He was open and honest with me about his struggle with alcoholism and, and depression. Yeah. And um, that empowered me. That, and it did. And it took years, but it empowered me at the point when I was at my lowest to go reach out to somebody. So if talking about it and if that TEDx can, can help somebody, my DMs are, are always open. My email is tduner at freightwaves.com. You ever need to talk confidentially, more than happy to help and set you in the right direction. Um, that said, we have a big show today, right? We're going to get some clarity on what do. this vaccine mandate means for trucking. Is, uh, is it a freight world apocalypse or will clear heads prevail and will truckers get an exemption? John Kingston will tell us about that. We'll learn about solutions for the port crisis. We've talked about a lot of the problems. So today we'll focus on some of those solutions with Brian Campesty from Port X. We're going to hear from Furnish. Now, remember earlier in the year, I ordered that couch and it took like oh, yeah, six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took like six and a half years to get here. Well, there's this company, <laughs> Furnish, that does this on-demand rental furniture. And you think that, you know, unless they have a ton of inventory for those things, they'd be in big trouble, right? Right. Yeah, you would think. Well, they figured out, they cracked the code, they figured out how to get that furniture delivered. So, really? side, cha- right. sidestep some of this supply chain crisis. Okay. And uh, we'll get some uh, trucking tips, right? We'll get some trucking tips and uh, we'll learn how to lower our insurance. Um we were going to talk to Lineage Logistics about this new pro- nonprofit aimed at food insecurity. Um, <laughs> our guest will be up in a minute. I think she's grabbing a jacket. Let's tip the bed and we'll see, uh, if, we'll see if she's up there by the is time she she's outside not. or something. I don't know. Uh, well, Redwood Logistics is a leading logistics platform company that has provided solutions for moving and managing freight for more than 20 years. The company's diverse portfolio includes digital freight brokerage, flexible freight management, and innovative platform services such as L Pass and Redwood Connect that fill the gaps between logistics and technology. Contact Redwood at Tell Em Dude. Hey, I'm telling you what, you guys need to go to redwoodlogistics.com immediately after this show. And I'll tell you what, you know what? Well, we're waiting for Darcy. Let's bring yeah. John Kingston up. I can see him over there in the green room. I know he's been oh, hard yeah. at work on getting some clarity on this story, on this vaccine mandate. When the story initially came out, it looked like that trucking wasn't exempt. Um, ATA had something different to say. So, John Kingston, thanks for joining us. Uh, uh, yesterday was a, was a challenging day, I imagine, for uh, a lot of carriers. And I, I even heard a lot of retailers were freaking out. Was it the trucking apocalypse? Talk to us about it. 
All right. Well, let, let's go right to the news. Actually, it was John Gallagher who worked the story this morning because I worked the story on the uh, unemployment rate or the employment report. Okay. So the uh, ATA has sent out a note to its well, it's done two things. First, it sent out a note to its members. And within literally the last five minutes, they sent a press release out um, saying that the, uh, the the vaccine mandate is not going to apply to them. There is no exemption. I mean, an exemption is the kind of thing that would need to be in the in the rule and says, OK, here's an exemption for such and such industry. There is no exemption. What the ATA is apparently doing is they're relying on two things. They're relying on their interpretation of the uh, definition of an outside worker uh, in the uh, it's it, the rule is not. The, I don't know if the rule's out yet, but yesterday what, what was published is known as a preamble, kind of like a pre-rule. Um, and I, I I kind of interpret it as not giving truck drivers a break. It said you would you you need to be to be exempt under the outdoors rule. You needed to be exclusively outdoors, and we know that truck drivers aren't that. But the ATA appears to be relying on a statement. Let me read you two that was given to like some TV station from Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. And uh, here's what he said last evening. If you're a truck driver and you're outside, you're in a cab driving by yourself, this doesn't impact you. If you're a worker outside working in the area, this doesn't impact you. So that sounds pretty explicit. And so that the ATA took that. I guess I'm sure they made some other phone calls. I don't think they relied just on this one statement to say that it looks like truck drivers are going to be exempt from the law without a specific exemption. But you're right that all this started yesterday uh, after the preamble was published, uh, the the uh, Truckload Carriers Association came out with a, a, an announcement very, very quickly that said there's no exemption. Um, and then over the course of the day, as people began to read this almost 500-page document, uh, they, they got to the part about working outside and working alone, and there was interpretation that this could keep drivers away from the vaccination rule. The statement by Labor Secretary Walsh last night appears to confirm that. The ATA clearly thinks enough of that statement and probably some other information they've got that they think truck drivers are going to be effectively exempt. Again, they're not a legal exemption, but effectively exempt. And so, therefore, there is really, really good news for the whole supply chain because there isn't a single person who wouldn't have disagreed with the idea that if this mandate really did hit trucking, it would take a chaotic situation and make it far more chaotic. Yeah, absolutely. So, John, was the confusion really in that statement that there's no exemption? Because, the, uh, I mean, that, that makes sense to me, right? You have to be within the realm of of, jurisdiction, of the rule yeah. to, get a, to get an exemption. So what they're saying is, hey, the truck drivers were never underneath the rule and, and mandated to do this. That's why there's no exemption, right? They're, they're, well, by yeah, rule, they're yeah, not exactly. in it. I, I think what happened was the, the, the preamble came out, okay? The preamble came out, and if you do a search on the word trucking – uh, you, you find some references to it. what you don't find is trucking is exempt. Um, and let's point out that this mandate, even, even if the drivers are exempt because of the interpretation of the outside rule of work, the working outside rule, if you're in the office uh, of, of a trucking company that's got more than 100 workers, you're still under it, okay, because you're not working outside. So, in fact, the ATA says we're going to continue. We're going to maybe we might litigate. We're going to continue to fight this. But really, let's face it. The issue to the supply chain was not going to be the people working in the back office. Uh, Hold on, John, let me ask you something. John, let's clarify something here. What if I'm a team driver? Is it okay? Like if we as long as we roll down the windows, is it okay if we're not vaccinated (laughs) and drive together? I I think I mean, it's a very legitimate question. The way I interpret it would be you would not be exempt. Yeah. Um, Let's just also put it this way. 
I think we know that the Bureau of Labor, the, that, that OSHA, you know, OSHA uh, part of the Department of Labor, I think we know that OSHA can't go over every single um, every single rule breaking here. Um, so I would think that going after team drivers after saying a solo driver is okay is probably not going to be high on their priority list. However, let's remember that this is for companies with 100 workers or more. Those companies tend to have lawyers. Many of them have in-house lawyers, and the lawyers would probably say stick with the law. So you're, it's a good question that there might be an impact on team drivers. The way I read the rule yesterday, I kind of felt that team drivers would not be exempt. As I re read it yesterday, I felt that, yes, you could read this and interpret it as meaning that solo drivers were okay, that they didn't need to be vaccinated. And the way I read it, again, not a lawyer, but the, and certainly not a labor lawyer, um, but the way I read it was that a, a team might have some issues. Well, it was it, it's preventing yeah. a big problem because CDL Life put out a, a survey last week, and uh, I believe it was only 7.9% were even in compliance with this. Um, we've definitely heard from a ton of drivers who said they're leaving the industry or going to a smaller carrier were this to be enforced. They're very strong and hard line about it, very anti, not all anti-vaccine, but anti-mandate, anti-being anti yeah. forced to, to something. And it seemed like truckers as a collective, many of them were willing to stand together and stand firm on this one if they made it tough. But Aaron Rubin, from Ship Hero, he, he points out something very interesting. There's only one OSHA compliance officer per 70,000 employees in the yeah. U.S. So this is the kind of thing that until, I mean, sure, there's a $13,000 fine, but if that's going to cause a company a lot more losing a bunch of drivers, I think they're going to they'll absorb some of those fines and see what's going to happen. But it doesn't seem like we'll even have to go that direction. So that's incredible right. news, and, John I mean, Casey. That's that's why I said the biggest concern here, I think, as far as enforcement, was not going to be enforcement by an OSHA, an OSHA worker, but a, a enforcement by a company's lawyers who said, you know, just don't go there. Just don't put yourself at risk. Um, you know, that tends to be what corporate lawyers do. And uh, a small company with 50, 75 workers and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, 30, 35 trucks, they were never going to be under this rule anyway. So they were never going to be an issue. Well, John, we know you were up late. Um, you know you're up late watching the Jets lose, so we got to send no, you I to a special you. Jets. Crazy. I packed it in. Are you kidding? We got to do a special I, I, Jets edition Wheel of Stupid Question question for you oh, right hey, here. Hey. What do we got? Here it is. What happens first, John Kingston? The Jets win another Super Bowl or Elon Musk colonizes Mars? <laughs> I'll say the Jets may win a Super Bowl first. <laughs> I don't know what that says about the Jets know, or what man. that says about Elon, but follow John As a Jet fan, as a Jet season ticket holder, yes, I've been through hell and back. Um, I will say that in football, you can turn it around pretty quickly. As you know, teams that might win two or three games one year, two or three years later, you find them in the Super Bowl. So that's why there's always this hope that maybe something will happen. Well, hey, John, thanks for sharing. Um, I, I, I mean, this is, regardless of how you feel about vaccines, this is good news for the economy because we, we just ducked a really, really big problem and uh, a, a weight has been lifted off a lot of people's shoulders with this news. John, thank you for staying on top of the story. We'll catch up with you in the, in the near future. Take it easy. Okay, thanks, guys. Take care. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the team, with the team driver situation, though. I thought you meant like the, t the Jets team. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, if you can do it within two or three years, then the Jets can do it within two or three hey, decades. <laughs> let's highlight something awesome now. Let's talk yeah, to Darcy Scavone. This. She's VP Talent, Culture, and Community Engagement over at Lineage Logistics, and they have just launched a brand new nonprofit to tackle something that was a big issue, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, food insecurity, right? I'm not sure I even heard that term until the beginning of the pandemic, and it became very prominent, right, Michael yeah. Vincent? Yeah. So, Darcy, thank you so much for joining us today. 
You bet. You bet. Glad to be here. So, uh, hey, let, let us in. What's, what's going on with um, the uh, Lineage Foundation for Good? So Lineage is really excited to launch a, a foundation centered around elimination of food waste and fighting food insecurity. Uh, we're uniquely positioned to do so as uh, 30% of the frozen product in the United States runs through one of our warehouses and 10% globally. Yeah, that is, that's an amazing statistics yeah. going through through your warehouse. And the amount that I'm looking at in this press release that of the food that is actually wasted is unbelievable. 40, 40% of the, well, what is it? One third of food produced globally is, is, is wasted and 40% of that is actually in the United States. 40% of that one that third. Is- but one one of the things that's in there is 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 hoping to make people reimagine the industry processes that have historically led to the food waste. I've heard of things like you know we donate all this food and then they sit on docks because of infrastructure and, and so on. Is that what you're talking about here and how you guys are helping this? No, you know what's really cool about it is with the disruptive technology that we've we've invested in, we're actually able to see across our network mm-hmm. our customers' product warehouses, what pallet positions, what food type, and most importantly to me is the expiration date of that product. And so we're able to proactively reach out to our customers um, when the product gets close to expiration day, say six dates, 60 days out, and uh, actually facilitate donation of product uh, to a local food bank that would have otherwise gone into a landfill. So great technology, great story. The customers are always interested in doing the right thing. And it's a it's it, it's really uh, being impactful in and getting the food in the hands of those that really need it the most. Yeah, you know that's a really great point. I, I've worked in restaurants before, and people are always like, "Well, why don't they just donate the excess food or, or do this or that?" Well, one, it expires quickly. I mean, a lot of it's perishables. But two, there's really no visibility into these kind of networks, and there's no support for it. And reverse logistics are, are tough to begin with, especially when you are outlaying money to go and help, you know, shelters and yeah. things. Great, great community service, but. If it's not easy and it's not affordable and there's not an easy way to do it, companies are going to have a hard time getting involved. What led Lineage to take on the task of food insecurity? Well, to be honest with you, um, we've always enjoyed strategic partnerships with organizations such as as Feeding America. Um, But during the early days of the pandemic, Lineage partnered uh, uh, with others like-minded in this space to bring 100 million meals to those in need during the early days of the pandemic called the share a meal campaign. And it was at during that time that we realized that there were ways we could streamline the process to make it easier for others to get involved and do some good with us. So super exciting. The other thing that I'm excited to tell you about is not only are we proactively able to see product that's close to date expiration, when we begin to facilitate those donations to the area food banks and food agencies, more times than not, they lack cold storage capacity mm. To, to be able to hold on to the product and distribute it as, as needed. And Lineage is also uniquely positioned in that we can, we can do that for them and help meter the product in so that it can be distributed and stay out of the landfills and get where it needs to go. That's excellent stuff. So in other words, you're, you're donating that space. So you're not just saying, hey, we've got these pellets, let's drop them off. We've got this available, consume it as you want to and, and, and get that stuff out of there. That is excellent stuff. Now, the, the, you, you mentioned the landfills a number of times. What's the issue with the waste going in, into the landfills? Is what, what are you reducing there by preventing that? Yeah. So when you mentioned earlier that 40 percent of, of the, the waste generated is in the U.S., that contributes to 7 percent of the greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S., that product uh, sitting in the landfills rotting. 
So we're really excited to also be able to have an impact on the environment at the same time. Well, I mean, this is a $3 million investment, right, in the foundation, a $3 million gift from from Lineage. is Now, in the perspective, though, of fighting in food insecurity, is that enough? Do you need do you need more money to support it? Is this enough to get it off its off its feet? How big of a problem are we trying to tackle? I know you're trying to cut into a corner of it, but but what is the scope? Yeah, so I think the $3 million is just a start. There are a lot of people that are passionate in this space, and this mm-hmm. is a public charity, so we'll, we'll be going out and, and fundraising. Um, you know, several million dollars. And what I'm really excited to start exploring is when we talk about food insecurity, as you can see, food manufacture is not the issue. It's how do we get it where it needs to go and how do we store it? There are a number of areas globally that don't have uh, frozen capacity out in food deserts. So we're also looking with like-minded partners on how do we create small uh, cold storage capacity in order to get the food out there where it's most needed and where there aren't supermarkets and that type of thing. So, um, yeah, $3 million is just the beginning, and we expect uh, this to grow much larger over the next several years. It sounds like an effort. I mean, it's an excellent effort. I'd applaud you for that. What I was going to say, it sounds like an effort that could have ancillary benefits as well, right? When we were talking about, like, uh, the vaccines coming out, so many parts of the world didn't have the cold storage that is there. Do you envision this producing more infrastructure that will help other things than just the food scarcity? I don't think that's our initial focus. We were very intentional about what we wanted to do so that we could have the right impact coming right out of the gate. And it really is about reducing food waste and and, um, uh, fighting food insecurity. So our focus initially will be there. Um, Could that eventually happen? Absolutely. uh, Without a doubt. Now, Darcy, I, I think my last question for you is one, and it, it's it's from the more cynical side of, of the world, the people who say, well, how did, why was food insecurity such a big problem during COVID-19 when there was all this stimulus going around and those kind of mm. things? And I think that that is a wrong way to look at this problem, right? What what was the, what is the issue here? And what is that, what is COVID-19 causing or what did COVID-19 cause? So, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying and, and we've heard the same things. The food insecurity that we're really tackling is, as I mentioned, um, where there are food deserts. So yeah, there was plenty of stimulus money going around, but if there's no supermarket in the area, where are you supposed to buy your food, especially if you don't have any transportation? That's really what we're gonna be focusing on um, when we talk about food insecurity, as well as, as I said, keeping it out of the landfill, getting it to the food banks, the food agencies, so that it can be distributed to the folks in need. Well, you're solving a big problem. People who want to follow this company, maybe support the company or, or use the services, where do I send them to? You can send them directly to lineage.com. There is a page there uh, around the foundation and how they can get involved. And we would welcome everybody's participation and support. And I I thank you for this time. It's really excited to be exciting to be able to do this and um, look forward to, to hearing a lot more from us in the future. Yeah, give us an update in a couple of months. Let us know how the how it's going. And if you need more support or if everything's going well, we'd love to we'd love to hear um how it goes from here. Oh, absolutely. Heck of a cause. Uh, applaud your effort. Please go and support them. Absolutely yeah. needed. Have a great weekend. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Now, Michael Vincent, there's a, yes, there's an old story some people may know or some people may not know, but oh. there was a Christmas party here at Freight Waves back in 2019, right? 
I or believe it you're right. Maybe it was. No, it was 2019. 2019. It was 2019. Frozen 2 had just come out. Yes, it and, did. Um, you were just being a blowhard, shooting your mouth <laughs> off about how bad the movie was. And, <laughs> I don't know. And you're, and I'm then not we got, sure that's exactly how the story we, goes. We, we got in a big debate about it. And I, then, now then that did it, occur. Then when the opportunity came open to fill that chair, I was like, if this person knows Freight and they can argue about Frozen 2, they'll make a perfect co-host. Now, there you go. One of the songs in that is Lost in the Woods by Kristoff, right? Yeah. Fantastic. As well, he's now dying. We're gonna, now we have to talk to Pierre Whiteside <laughs> Of Victory Ave Equipment and Fire Asking. He's going to give us some trucking tips. But first, I want to hear this story from him about the time he got lost in the woods. Pierre, what's up, my man? <laughs> oh. Oh, he's on mute. We got to get him off mute. Oh, let's get him off mute. There Please. we go. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we can. Pierre, what's up, man? How are you guys doing, man? How are you guys doing? What's going on, man? So you were telling me, you, you have like created, you, your background is really interesting. He created an app that was almost identical to what Twitter polls were. He, he just got an app yeah. store, he won a contest, uh, and then, uh, you know, his dreams were destroyed. Yeah, uh, but, crushed like a bug. Crushed, but he's done a bunch of other cool stuff. And one of, another one is he's a big time hiker, right? Yeah. And he told me one time, he like one of my biggest irrational fears is getting, like after seeing the Blair Witch Project is getting lost in the woods. And he told me he got lost. <laughs> what happened when you got lost in the woods, Pierre? Man, so I was working for an insurance company up in uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. First job out of college. This was back in 2017, 2016. Um, a couple of my buddies. Oh, I'm actually with, okay. Anyways, a couple of my buddies, Reed and, um, and my guy Josh, we went hiking after work. Um, Tom Sog Park. So like, we, we hiked basically the highest point in Missouri. And it was dark. It was, it was back in February. So we were like, okay, we're going to just hike 30 minutes to this one little spot and camp there. Well, when we got into the woods, they decided, hey, let's just go deeper to this really cool campsite spot that is the highest point at the top where we can wake up there in the morning. And that was like seven miles, 7.1 miles. And you, you hear that, you think, okay, that's not bad, let's do it. But I didn't realize we're walking over like <laughs> boulders and up a mountain. So it's like, that turned into a three and a half hour walk. Um, I saw a bald eagle stuck in a tree. <laughs> it was just really just wandering in the dark. We were following the trail, but we were lost. It was like, okay, we just, we just picked a spot to like, you know, just crash after about three and a half hours um, in the middle. And um, I woke up that morning, though, man, we were so high up. Like, I saw geese flying overhead. It's like you, you can hit with a rock. That's how close they were. It was, it was really cool. It was, it, was, it was kind of a scary experience, but it was fun at the same time. I, I, like, I'll I do it over again. Well, I'm glad, you, I'm, glad you found your, I'm glad you found your way out because yeah. now you can help uh, the truckers out there reduce their insurance costs. So what, kick us off here. What are some tips you need to know in um, November of 2021 about insurance, picking insurance, and lowering, lowering those costs? Man, one of the main things I'll say, this is for new companies, new guys, because I see a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of people starting up um, thinking, thinking that trucking is, is, you know, it's a great way to create passive income, which you and I both know is not as passive as people may want to believe <laughs> at all. But um, I'm seeing a lot of people want to start trucking companies, um, a lot of investor deals happening without CDLs. And that's cool. You can do that. But it's a lot more favorable and better in, in your, for, for anyone's position starting a company to have their CDL, especially having it for two or more years. Like I'm, I'm quoting deals. I quote deals across the country, um, 49 states. So I've seen multiple occasions where I, I write a company through the same carrier. Um, they'll have, okay, just because one company's have, one, one owner has had a CDL experience for two more years. His quote would be, let's say, starting out at twenty three thousand, or no, starting out for him, it could be thirteen. I've seen thirteen thousand as low as that. Good credit, great CDL score. Someone just starting up without a CDL, they got a driver in the truck. It's going to be ten to fifteen thousand more expensive just because they don't have that CDL. Because on paper, they're more risk to the insurance carrier than that guy that has his, he's driving, he's owning, owner operator driving the truck. So that's that's the main thing right there. Another one for established businesses, 
is uh, FMCSA scores, man, your basic scores. And that's basically, companies don't realize this, but well, some, some companies don't. But whenever you have, um, whenever you're pulled over on the side of the road, you're, you're stopped for hours of service, any type of oil leak, trade on tires, all those little things, those little violations, they add up. They go into your basic scores. And that's what insurance carriers look at when they court your business. So keeping those things down, having good SOPs in place, standard operating procedures in place, those type of things that on the back end that lower lower prices on insurance, especially for larger companies, and it it, it just it, it helps the company operate more smoothly. Anyways, you know, I like to specialize between one and thirty trucks myself personally. Right now, I'm getting more into fleet deals, but uh, yeah, so those things like keeping your um, your DOT report, your basic scores clean. Yeah, absolutely. I experienced that when I was starting my own brokerage was having having that knowledge be. Uh, prior helped reduce those insurance scores. No matter that. And that, that, that absolutely is, makes total sense. And the SOP side though, Pierre, um, do you, do you, what, what's your ratio, I guess, to follow up after a safety incident, you know, to make awareness and to recover from that and to train other people and prevention, which, which is it 50, 50, or you think it's more valuable to be preventative before or after? I'm going to always go, it's, it's, it's more valuable to be proactive. It's more, that's why I'm, I'm actually partnering with um, truck estates. They have, they do a lot of safety and compliance training, right? We're, we're, we're working on a, a partnership with them because, I mean, the, what the insurance carriers look at is it's called your basic scores, right? That's behavior analysis, safety improvement category. So behavior analysis and safety improvement category. That's what we look at this on our CAB report. So when I, when I pull that, when I run the DOT number, I can see all the violations they've ever had. Um, so... The thing about that is, is it's always better to be preventative so those scores stay low because when you're when they're up high, it takes it takes time to get those things off, right? When it's already an issue, you know, with anything, you know, it's 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 a lot more beneficial for the company owners to be proactive than reactive. Because when you're reactive, the, the costs are already there, the expenses there, then now you gotta go in and, and retrain drivers um, and owner operators are already setting their ways when if you started out like this out the gate, it wouldn't be as much of an issue. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes Pierre, perfect sense. Let me ask you, Pierre. Do you have a? Were you a former truck driver? Do you have a? C, do you have a CDL? No, no, no. So I came in this fresh out of college. Um, I, I graduated from Ole Miss University of Mississippi, 2016, and I started marketing for uh, an insurance agency in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. We did. Um, we serviced about 43 states. And then I started selling after I saw what those guys were bringing in. But yeah, I, I just did the um, the national campaigns for um, for email campaigns, social media, blogs, all that. Then I just got in the sales side of it. You know, he said something funny too, like at the beginning of this, that 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 people are getting interested in becoming company owners, right? As as passive income, and they're they're probably in for a rude awakening. They're probably seeing these national spot rates yeah. and thinking this is a great thing, and they're probably not aware that contracts are fake in freight and that markets oh, no, can turn no, just quickly. Just go to your contract, and I'll pay some <laughs> guy to haul the freight. Easy. The national Easy rate money. may not be applicable to your regional area at all, <laughs> yeah. so it can be incredibly challenging. What are what is the biggest uh, mistake aside from insurance that you're seeing some of these new company owners make, Pierre? Um. Not realizing that the the driver in that truck is eighty percent of the value of the company, you know. So so, if, especially if you're an investor, you're not you're not going to be driving. You have to invest heavily, and you have to one have a good driver, driver, but also make sure you're investing in that person. Make sure you're communicating with them, um, treating them like they're more valuable than the truck because they are. <laughs> um, a good driver work, will work wonders for a company or destroy it. So starting out, you know, with the one or two trucks. So that's what I'm that's what I'm seeing. People not doing enough to to do research and invest on. Invest in quality drivers because sometimes you know you get drivers fresh out of CDO school. Um, you have to; they have to become. They're not there yet. They have to become quality drivers unless you want to. I'm not gonna say. Never mind. Go ahead. 
Oh, you end up like the yeah, Jets. No, no or let me ask you, you this: put I'm, a I'm bunch just... of inexperienced lug nuts on the field. You know, you, you end up losing <laughs> on Thursday night football. Well, you got to. <laughs> they need the experience before they start that thing, right? And this is all great, great, great right. advice. Right. What are you seeing as a rate there, Pierre? Though I mean, you, we see a lot of drivers going to owner operators and starting their own LLC, starting their own businesses. Is that more common? Right. And how easy is it right now, or the rate of people coming in and hiring drivers for their own company in these small things, so, or is it mostly drivers? already doing it right it's, you got a large rate so right now i'm in atlanta at this uh lady lady logistics conference for transportation so you have both you have a lot of people just coming from you know people got their their um seamless and, and and you know ppp loans and all that kind of stuff they want to start charging companies they're investing but without the experience and they're taking courses and saying, okay oh, oh is that easy well no it's not that easy because there's a lot of relationships and things that are built on that side of it. so maybe just experience like Freezing up a little bit over there? Yeah, he froze Uh-oh. up a little froze. bit over there. That's not Pierre. That's a picture of Pierre. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll see him. We'll, uh, we'll put a connection to Pierre in the show notes so you can connect with them and, and finish this um, conversation. Uh, the last question we had from him was about that. It was about Ole Miss, but I, I guess that one will have to wait. We'll have a good reason to bring him back next time. Yeah, well, we're going to have to wait. We got time. Hey, you that know what? Port of LA long. started publishing yesterday. Can we look hmm. at this dwell report, guys? Throw this up on the screen right here. Oh, Port of is, LA yeah. just put this up on their website yesterday. They're supposedly going to be updating this daily. And, uh, you know, some takeaways here. You're just looking at it quickly, and you are seeing a reduction. I mean, on 11-1, you had 87,000 cans. Oh. You're down to 74,000 cans now. Um, yeah. Yeah, you definitely. Oh, hold on, Pierre's back. Let's Pierre bring, back. All right, Pierre, one second. Let's Pierre, Pierre, plug where people should go to find out more because we got We do have to run to our other guest. Oh no, you're fine. You're fine. So my, you, you can find me on Instagram, Pierre Whiteside, first last name. Uh, email address is going to be Pierre.Whiteside at go g o a f i g dot com. Um, also, I was going to say too, your guy uh, Pierre Laguar. You told me to tell you, hey, I'm, I'm I'm with him and Adam from Innovative Innovative Logistics Groups. So they told me to tell oh, you. Oh, okay, love. cool. Oh, he, I mean, Pierre yeah. Laguerre's the man. Pierre, Pierre Laguerre is, cool, uh, man. is awesome. Hey, before we let you go, let me ask you one thing. You're at the old Miss game. You see Lane Kiffin out there on the field. What a food item are you throwing at him? Nothing. I love Lane Kiffin. What do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. You can throw him something good, then. <laughs> you can throw him like a bubble yeah, boy or something. I'll throw him a nice two-bone steak. <laughs> All right, man. All right, take it easy. All right, let's bring that dwell, that dwell report up one more time. So we're looking at this. The, the, the takeaway is that, yeah, we've reduced uh, about 13,000 cans over here, right? Yeah. Um, the okay. five to eight days are going up a little bit. The nine to 12 days are going down. Now we're going to talk to Brian Kepesty from Portex Logistics about what's going on over there, what we can do, this empty situation. And, you know, these are the cans that are leaving, but what about the cans that have to come back? So, Brian, yeah. thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having us again. It has been um, – the conversation has gotten heated, tougher, and more hardball around the ports and Dre truckers. And I really started noticing this when um, the the finger was getting pointed at, at Dre drivers, right, saying there's a driver shortage, they're not picking things up. And a lot of the Dre community, they reached out to me, and they sent me videos, and they told me their stories, and they've come on this show, and they, they, they've said, like – Look, that's not the entire truth. There are many more challenges than us, than us not wanting to pick up cans. What's the state of things right now, Brian? Uh, it's pretty much the same as it has been over the last uh, several weeks. We haven't seen significant improvement. Um, and the thing that we've been talking about are these, uh, whether you call them loader vessels, charter vessels, uh, you know, these different steamship lines from Asia, um, you know, really the empties from those 
shipments are the ones that are, are causing the, um, you know, all the gridlock. Basically, you pick them up, you deliver them, and then you can't terminate the empties. Yeah, well, that's the problem. So what, what, where's, the, where's the core issue there of the empties not being able to be returned? There's, there's a reason why they're not being able to be returned. What is that? And how can drainage carriers, uh, how can you help them? What can um, they do? Well, I think, I think a lot of the, you know, the ones and the CMAs of the world in, in Maersk and in the bigger lines, they have a regular schedule that they're calling on. And it's easier to return those containers than it necessarily, you know, for a, a shipper owned lease container um, or, you know, a Chinese line like BAL, they, they just don't have the regularity or the relationship with the terminals. So it seems like the terminals take back those containers last and, you know, that's where we're running into the issue. Retailers and importers are are clamoring for space and they're taking any space they can get. And uh, it's like, you know, the dog that chases the car, the dog caught the car. And now what do you do? Um, and, you know, one of the things I wanted to bring up was was velocity. And I think I think that's something that we're missing, uh, missing the point on right now. You know, it's a lot of processes that are they're trying to change at once too right to get everyone on board here and and one of the 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 things that has changed at the at the ports is uh, not that long ago you did not need an, if i'm understanding this correctly you didn't need an appointment to bring an empty back so we've we've added this brand new hurdle that every company has to contend with and i've heard that one of the the great frustrations is that a lot of companies will have these appointments, they'll wait in line, they'll waste six hours of their time and then they'll get there and then their appointment will have expired and they're, they're turned away or they're saying they're not receiving any more containers. Is that true? It is, yeah. I mean, they might only take, you know, say a hundred of a given line's container. So, you know, you get the appointment, you wait in line, you, you might miss your appointment or maybe they close you out because they quit taking empties. Um, so there is definitely some truth to that. I'm I'm not sure of the exact start date. I was talking to our gang up in Oakland and I think it was five or six years ago and you would just roll in and terminate your empty and, and it was game over. And, you know, they implemented this empty return appointment system to make things more efficient. Um, but it hasn't. And, you know, I, you can't throw total blame on the terminals right now. They're, they're handling like 20% more cargo. They, and the terminal didn't grow by 20%. There's just no room out there. So Maybe we need to find a different avenue to free flow empties somewhere, some offsite um, terminal. Yeah, well, I mean, you're right. They're, they're handling 20% more and in some cases much, much more, right? You're setting records all the time at these terminals. But, I mean, they're handling 20% more in, but not 20% more out. What's the issue of the out? That's what the thing is. If it's 20% more, it's 20% more. It's an in and out, even flow. Why Why the imbalance is, is the question that I have. But well, I, think, uh, I don't know if you have an answer to that or not. I think some is the irregularity, you know, those those um, smaller, um, more obscure lines, as well as the the charters. Right. They're not calling on a regular basis. So, you know, those are the ones that are stuck on the chassis that have the long dwell times that are mm. causing the chassis shortage. Um, you know, and everybody wants their Christmas gift. Right. So you're chartering vessels and doing whatever you can. But if we just kind of would let the system um, work itself out, um, rather than throwing all this additional capacity, um, the entire supply chain would probably be uh, a little better off. Um, and, you know, another thing that I, I don't think people are taking into consideration, all these charter vessels, everything off of them needs to get transloaded because there's no inland point intermodal service. 
So think about all the warehouses in Southern California that are trying to process all these transloads. And I don't know, 80, 90% of these retail goods all come in floor loaded. And that all means a lot of labor to get them transloaded. We did a little, you know, just analysis and we figured it was 30 to 45 minutes to do a palletized transload um, versus eight to nine man hours for a loose loaded transload. Um, so in addition to the actual labor, you're also tying up dock doors while this is happening. Um, and again, in order to get out of this, we need better velocity through the supply chain. And, you know, I've mentioned palletizing cargo now for six to nine months, and some people are starting to heed the advice and others are like, no way, you're crazy. We can't do that. It's, it's going to cost uh, too much money. Yeah. yeah, well, a couple of things here. One is the Wall Street Journal just published yesterday that our, our trade imbalance is the worst it's ever been. It, it's only gotten worse sure. during the pandemic. I think sure. it grew by 18% in the last month alone. So that right there tells you a lot about what's coming in and what's not going out and a lot yeah. of the problem there. Because... You don't get paid to bring an empty container out, Michael Vincent. You get paid to bring them in. That's why the steamship lines look. They can, you know, they can act like, oh, we can't do anything. They're scheduling the vessels. They're deciding to call sure. LA. They're deciding not to call other ports. I mean, not, not that every port can handle the infrastructure, but they don't have to send every single boat there. But they do because look at their earnings. Chaos creates cash. Now, speaking of cash, now one of the blowback I've heard from BCOs about this palletization thing is that it takes up CBM space and they're yeah, like, well, sure. I, don't need, I don't care anymore. Now it's not a problem that I'm waiting 80 days to get my cargo because I'm saving $1,000 or, or whatever it may be. Um, why is that the wrong thinking now? And does palletized cargo, is that going to get picked up quicker? Is it a lot more attractive to a Dre company? Um, yeah. We're, we're generally four to five days out on picking up palletized transloads. And we're telling people three weeks on loose loaded um, just due to, you know, doctors, labor uh, and everything that's involved. So you've got these uh, emergency fees and demerge that's being paid. So are you really saving that much money? And, you know, I think I think some importers, if you're bringing in furniture and it's three across and three high and you're losing two, a third of your space, maybe it doesn't make sense. But if you're bringing in 2,000 cartons on the floor and you're losing, you know, 10 inches at the bottom of the container, it definitely makes sense to palletize them and you will become a shipper of choice. You will get to market um, and you will get to sell your goods and collect that cash versus the other stuff, the, those 13 plus dwell um, containers that you were just pointing out. That stuff, a lot of that stuff is going to sit there and it's going to miss retail season. You know, you know what's funny too. So he he was po he posted yesterday about this palletized thing, and it, and yeah. I believe it was the furniture BCOs who were like giving the yeah. blowback there. And it's like, well, this isn't like an absolute solution for everybody. And obviously, there's a bunch of couches. It's not something to have to go and grab two thousand boxes. It's completely different. That's a much quicker unload. So this is more about unload speed. So if you have furniture that is not thousands of boxes or would right. be a relatively quick unload, then yes, that might still be attractive to a Drake company. Yes, of course, there's an asterisk around every every circumstance. Sure. Um, leave us with something. What's what's the other than the, the the palletizing? What do you what should BCOs be doing to interact with their Dre partners and just create whatever efficiency they can or take control of whatever chaos they can right now? Yeah, I think I think everybody, you know, there was so much um, so many issues on getting space on vessels and getting containers overseas that you know, people were like, oh, man, I got space. I'm good. And then they were like just hoping once it got to the U.S. that it would get delivered. And, you know, the amount of pre-planning, the pre-alerts, 
Um, and, and planning for everything. It's not planning just for a driver. It's planning for a driver. It's planning for yard space. It's planning for labor. It's planning for chassis. Work with your, your uh, freight forwarder and your dray provider um, to get plenty of notice uh, into the system because a lot of these uh, freight forwarders still work on old legacy systems that don't allow them to create a delivery order until customs is cleared. And by that time, you know, if you haven't planned, um, your freight's already going to be in demerge because of the lead times that are out there. So just pre-plan with your freight forwarder and your drayage and transloading provider um, to make sure that they can put all the uh, the assets that are needed uh, and make them available. Yeah, a lot of yeah. antiquated systems showing their age in 2021, Brian. Yep. Uh, Port X yep. Logistics, go check them out. They will help you out with all your Dre needs. And, and Brian's a great guy. He'll help you navigate these, these tough seas. And, uh, you know, they're going to be that way for a little while, at least past Golden Week, you know. So we'll see how it goes. Brian, thank you so much for your time oh, yeah. today. Have a great weekend. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Brian. Easy. Let's check out this. So we're speaking about furniture right now. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk to a company that has sort of uh, has figured out a solution to moving furniture around without these massive delays. But let's watch a quick video so you guys can understand what they do. When Ryan and I moved in together, we didn't have any of our own furniture. All we had was a mattress on the floor. Discovering Furnish was such a relief. We didn't have to deal with delivery delays or assembling it. Plus, we got to choose all of our furniture and decor in one place ourselves. They made our move incredibly easy. Furnish helped us create a home we could be proud of. Head to Furnish.com and see for yourself. Wow, well now joining us Very is cool. Kristen Smith, President and COO over at Furnish. Kristen, thanks for joining us on the show today. Hi, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now this, this looks really this looks really cool. So this is like home delivery. You'll you'll fill up someone's uh, apartment or new house. I know a lot of people switch locations and places during the pandemic, so this probably came in handy. But a lot of supply chain crises too. So let's get into it. Talk a little bit about the company first. What's it all about? Sure. So our mission is to make it effortless to create your home. And that includes sort of all of the moving, all of the management of furniture and these big bulky things that are expensive and, and tough to deal with. Um, and the fact that things change in an instant, which we all were reminded of a couple of years ago when all of a sudden our homes became not just where we slept and ate every once in a while, but also our office, our homeschool, mm -hmm. and a lot of other things that we were not used to. So what we do at its core is a, a furniture and decor rental, and that allows our customers to have the flexibility and um, a lot of kind of delay of commitment to putting down a lot of money uh, for the, the big items in their homes. And then also the flexibility of saying, you know, something's changed where I'm living, who I'm living with what I'm using my space for, uh, all of those things have changed or any of those things have changed. And now I'm able to allow the the things that are in my space that support me living my life to change as well. So, yeah, I, I imagine, Kristen, you, you, you saw some massive growth over the over the last two years, especially in the in the office space, I would guess. Is that true? Is that the is that the hot thing right now? The major growth is in the personal office? <laughs> Yeah, you would not believe it. Uh, prior to the pandemic, I would say we we shipped out a desk for a home office every once in a while. And then March 2020, all of a sudden, that business just went crazy. Um, and, and that's been great. But I think what we've 
also discovered, which is fantastic, is that once people adjusted to working from home and they were using their homes in in lots of different ways, people were deciding to upgrade a sofa or a dining table um, or add some rugs and throws and pillows that helped make the home a little bit more cozy, a little more comfortable in addition, because they were spending more time there. So the the uh, home office furniture certainly started, kind of led that wave, but we saw a lot um, of, of really great um, upgrading and sort of filling out homes uh, throughout the pandemic as well. Now, so this is direct-to-consumer furniture, but it's rental, right? Or, or are people buying this? Yeah. And and either way, how, do you, how are you getting the inventory? How are you acquiring, especially in this time where yeah. most of us are waiting six months to get a couch? Yeah, how are you getting it so fast? <laughs> well, I think the, you're right. So it's rental, and that helps, actually helps us a little bit. Um, and, and I'll talk about that in a second. But um, we, we do rental, and you have the option to buy things out so you can – apply all of your rental payments to the retail price and just sort of buy out the things that you fall in love with. We do offer a straight buyout as well, you know, in our e-commerce site. And um, we don't see a lot of people who choose to do that because the rental and sort of delaying that decision is really a great option for a lot of customers. Um, But we do have both. Uh, As far as how we get furniture, I think the first thing, it starts with the strategy that we have for our product, which it has to be super durable. It has to be really modular so that we can refurbish it, keep it out of the landfill, keep it going and serving a lot of different customers for one lifetime and next lifetime, et cetera. And that allows us to reuse those assets, but it also curates the um, the stuff that we're we're offering to customers. So we're not looking to be the Amazon or the Wayfair of your selection, but really to be curated and ensure that we not only have the style that you want or that we, we're going to be known for, or, but also furniture that's going to last through the circular economy process that we have. So I think that that's, um, we're able to reuse the assets as they come back from customers and give them a second, third, fourth, fifth life. And that helps us because we don't have to source new furniture. The other thing that has been really uh, fun, exciting, Something during all of these supply chain crunches is that we've been able to say, all right, we may not be able to get this one particular item that was filling this place in our selection, but let's work with our vendor partners to understand the supply chain all the way back through raw materials and including all of the transportation and and the delays and everything that's actually in that chain. And let's figure out the, the things that will still fit with our catalog, but also will be available for us. And so we were able to be very nimble about what our selection was and reuse the items that were coming back from customers that weren't good for them any longer for whatever reason, but were uh, you know refurbishable, cleanable, and able to be like new for the next customer. So Kristen, I'm interested uh, uh, the challenges that you guys uh, went through during the past two years, because you obviously are going into the consumers into the consumers' home, you're going over the threshold, white glove delivery, right? Because yeah. you're you're actually putting this stuff together. How did you guys deal with that? And how did you deal with the massive growth? You must have had some returns and refusals, right? How do you return? How do you how do you deal with those issues over the past two two years? Yeah, well, we built out contactless d- delivery, which we never thought we would ever do because we thought yeah. that that assembly and placement and taking away all the wrapping and 
the moving blankets and everything was going to always be a big part of our service. But suddenly we were dealing with, you know, wanting to keep our team safe and ensuring that our customers were safe. And so we sort of switched more to a contactless dis- delivery where we would unload and uh, assembled items and sort of place them outside the door and allow the customer to sort of move them in if mm. that's where the customer was. Uh, so that was kind of one of the first things. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, the other things that we've done have just been really listening to the feedback of our customers and trying to make sure that even when we're taking the order, we're asking questions or setting expectations so that we can support what those customers really want Um in terms of, you know, some people are going to be a little bit more sensitive to having somebody in their homes. Some people are going to really need the lifting and moving pieces of what we provide. And and let's make this sort of almost mass customized experience for the customer based on where they are. And we ask a lot of questions up front and we do a pre-delivery survey as well that, you know, for a while really included all these health checks on the, uh, our customers to make sure that we had the right delivery date and that we felt comfortable sending our team, but also to understand what they really needed and, and how to best support them so that our drivers, um, because we do most of the deliveries, our drivers were able to have that information and sort of meet the customer where they were. Now, Kristen, before I let you go, let me ask you a, a final question here. Is there any home furnishing that you should never rent? A home furnishing that you should buy? That's a great question. <laughs> Uh, good question. I mean, we don't rent sheets and uh, towels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we'll just sell those to you. Um, and, you know, I think it, it is even funny because when I think about that, I'm like, well, I guess I'm sort of renting sheets and towels if I go to an Airbnb or if I yeah. go to a hotel. So it's a little different. Yeah. And we actually aren't doing any refurb of our mattresses. So if you get a mattress from us, it's actually brand new, at least today. And we are looking into just for sustainability and circularity purposes, whether it makes sense for us to do that. But we donate those um, to, you know, kind of homeless shelters and other places that can use them instead of sort of re-renting those. But it's more of a, a sort of perception because, again, those are things that we're all reusing when we go and use an Airbnb or a, yeah. a hotel. Yeah, I would have said a toilet seat. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, yeah that, that we're not sense. in that business today, but yeah, I, th- I like that. I think you're spot yeah. on. Well, yeah. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody check out Furnish.com. That is spelled F-E-R-N-I-S-H.com. Thank yeah, you. Have a so great much. weekend. Thank you so much, Kristen. Maybe a little, okay, time for a little good news, bad news, Let's and we'll send you it. home. the bad news and good news. I hope they're okay. Okay, bad news. Multiple mm. truckers are reporting diesel fuel buying caps at several travel centers of America. Show that up here. There's one right there. Oh, Where yeah. is that one located? Uh, one of these was in New uh, Mexico. That's the New other... Mexico. Yeah. yeah, one of those was in New Mexico. The Moriarty, other one... New Mexico. The other one was over in Texas. And these, these notices are saying that at this time you could only get 60 gallons of diesel. Um, that includes reefer. Please do not pump 60 gallons of a diesel, right? Your card will fail. So 60-gallon cap at these different locations. A number of travel centers of America have it. But there's some good news for you. Oh. Twitter user... Michelle Kitchen, she posted this out here, a little service to all you drivers oh, out there. there if you go. use 
She says, if you use the TA Travel Center's Truck Smart app, it will show you about fuel shortages once you are geographically near the stop. That way you don't get caught in line going somewhere. And some people say, why don't you just go to another gas station? What happens is a lot of times as a truck driver, there's someone who falls yeah. asleep in the fuel island, right? Like a big old jerk. Or you just get stuck <laughs> behind them. You wait. It takes a while to fill yeah, a diesel truck. It's it not instant, right? And you're yep. losing that time on the clock. So you wait. You get up there. No fuel. Yeah. So you can still get somewhere. If you're an emergency, you can still go. You can get your, you can get your 60 gallons of diesel. You can get somewhere else. But yeah. if there's another one close by, they have a shortage, you might want to go somewhere else. Yeah. And in West Texas, it's not that easy to just go to the next gas station. Yeah. <laughs> I got some good news. The White House Supply Chain Disruption Task Force put out a new press release in which they beat the drum about 24-7 SoCal ports, yeah. uh, uh, you know, amongst other things, right? Yeah. Hey, it's going to be 24-7. And President Biden action encouraging link good moves. Chain move forward 24 7. Why are you mumbling? It's crazy because it's all BS, man. Let's get to the bad (laughs) news here. Here's what happened the hours of the port is actually operating typically 7 a.m. to 1500 or 1700, 7 a.m. to 5 o'clock, and then again 6 o'clock to about 3 o'clock in the morning, 1830. Really, Monday through Friday and then Saturday and Sunday closed. Yeah, Saturday, most of the terminals are closed. Most of them are closed. Sunday, I think, all all of them, except for one is TBA. I don't know what would encourage them to do that. A bigger supply chain crisis, perhaps. Yeah, so uh, it hasn't changed much of anything, yeah. and even if they went twenty four seven, they're not getting a whole lot more time yeah. out of it, except for Saturday, Sunday. It, don't believe the hype; it's a myth. It's they're a, not twenty four seven. They're not twenty four seven. Say, all right? Nope. Bad news. All right, CDL Life. According to CDL Life, Elsa let it go. The dog. A lot of Frozen references today. Yeah, what's going on? According to CDL Life, Elsa the dog ran away from home around two weeks ago after getting scared by this by that big storm that was in Ringgold, Tennessee, just a little while ago. Elsa's owner, Christy Chabin, devastated a seven-year-old dog. She was worriedly took to Facebook to make a post that about her lost pup in hopes that someone would see it and maybe could help her. It was a shot in the dark. She said, it's like missing a child. You're sending out these posts every day. You're just begging, please, 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 just take a look at my dog and help them. Well, here's some good news, Michael Vincent. Yeah. Here's some very, hear very good news. I want to hear Someone... It. Some truck driver driving around saw this dog, right? She had thousands of comments, hundreds of shares, and that's exactly what got her home. The lady called, and she said, I think I have your dog. Um, Yeah. It was a truck driver. She sees this dog walking around. They found Elsa. She saw that post. Um, They found the page. They made the connection. They had the dog they were looking for, but that truck driver wasn't going that direction. So the dog actually got passed around a few times. Uh, they like a say here it went over 1,200 different miles. <laughs> it went to all the stops and deliveries with the drivers, right? It went swimming in all the different ponds. And there she was, reunited with that dog. Love a good happy ending. That is so cool. Like they test around like the Olympic porch. I've got some bad news for you. Yeah. You're sitting in your classroom in uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, Ooh. and a moose crashes through the window. Wow. <laughs> oh, look. Look at that. That's a giant moose. Yeah, Saskatoon Public Schools, the school division there. This thing came through there. Young kids in this classroom. Good news is no one was seriously injured. And you know what's even better about this, too? Yeah. They tranquilized the moose, took it back out in the woods, let it go. It's fine. Well, you know, like, Everybody went good. Good thing that that moose didn't burst in here in Fred Alley. Remember what happened to that bear that was walking down the Yeah, it is. Killed him. They shot the bear. Yeah. 
They I shot mean, him. like Moose can crush you. Moose can do a lot of damage. There are people who are lucky that Moose didn't hurt anybody, but they're also like sweet. Absolutely. You know? And here's the other thing. I think it's probably good news. Depending on your perspective, that's good news all the way around. If you're a kid in that class and Moose comes in, that's pretty cool. Well, that's what they said in the story around <laughs> right. this, too. There were, like, hey. You know, there are a lot of Canadians that they care a lot about wildlife up there. It's yeah. a very Canadian story. I mean, let's be honest here. Yeah, it certainly is. Someone, yeah. One of the guys who cared a lot about Moose, he followed the police all the way to the gas station. He wanted to make sure they actually let the Moose go. He oh, is that very right? concerned. Yeah, he, oh, he followed okay. the Moose. He, cool. he went as far as they would let him go, and they say they let him out back in the wild. He wasn't and, looking um, for moose cutlets or anything like that? For moose cutlets. Did you hear about all the deer, that, uh, the ticks that are killing the deer, though? No, I didn't not, hear. not here. I think it's up in the, the forest of North Dakota. Well, maybe it's in Canada, too. The forest wow. over here. Ooh, horrible. Man, like, that sounds like a horror movie. Yeah, Why do I have to leave you with that image in your head? That's not a good image. Happy weekend. Hey, Stay guys, away from yeah, the Thanks for joining us. You can find me on Twitter at Timothy Duda. That's D double O N E R. Find him at Vincent the Dude or connect with us on LinkedIn. You can find the show wherever you get podcasts. Look up for, uh, What the Truck. We're on three days a week. Next week is F3. We'll be on yeah, four days a week. F3. Starting Tuesday, catch us then. Tell them how to be. Hey, peace and love. Spread it everywhere.